Hello everyone, I'm Ed Kemp and welcome to the Wide Open Road podcast series where we share the stories of athlete career transition to life after sport. In this episode we feature Lockie Mitchell, the former professional rugby player who was the first member of the Melbourne Rebels Super Rugby franchise to play 50 games for the organisation. Lockie also played for the London Wasps during a two-year stint in the Northern Hemisphere. Lockie retired at 26 years of age, an age where for many professional athletes they are literally in the prime of their sporting lives. However, he was quoted at the time saying he wanted to concentrate on building a life after rugby rather than playing for a club that he was not excited or passionate about, even though he had had some interest from overseas clubs. His move to retire was courageous, and I started by asking him how retirement has treated him and whether he was worried about what he was going to do post-rugby. So I think um, there's obviously been some stages since I retired, so I think um, I'd be lying if, I, if it was... If I was to say, you know, it had been a smooth transition the whole way through. I think right now I'm I'm in a good place and I I feel pretty comfortable and positive about the future. But there's definitely been, you know, times where I was less optimistic, um, and yeah, I think you know, like anything, it, you know, you got to go through stages. So, um, what was the first part of that question? Sorry, well, from the point of view of of how retirement's treated you, and and, and you mentioned. You know, not a smooth process, and you, it sounds like there were times when you were a bit up and down with respect to the optimism of, of when you finished playing rugby. I mean, what are the types of things that, that worried you, and what were the things that maybe didn't go according to plan when you when you thought, well, look, I'm going to finish, I'm pretty well educated, I'm going to go out there and find a job. What were the things that concerned you and maybe didn't allow you to be as optimistic as you thought you were going to be? Well, I think um, probably on my mind actually was my mortgage, to be to be honest, to start. Um, yeah, that's kind of that, that, that generally, yeah. generally focuses. So that sort of focused me a little bit. Um, so I had to meet those requirements. Um, yeah, I think you know when you're in sport, especially in in team sport, you you're told what to do. You know, you you're given um, a timetable. You rock up and you know you give you give yourself a hundred percent or go 100% and, and you kind of, you know, progressively over, overload yourself and you're improving, you, you do what you're told and and you stay in the team. But I think when you leave a team environment, and I'm sure it's the same for individual sports too, but no one's telling you what to do. So you really, um, you really lose that, um, that overall strategy of, of your life, you know. You kind of have to, you have to, make your own goals you know rather than being given goals being given goals by the team so I think that was probably for me um, the first thing that I had to had to figure out was what did I actually want to do and and how was I going to get there you know there is people that can that take an interest and take you along the way but really it has to come from your own internal drive and uh, I suppose yeah from the team sport you are you're given this um, scaffolding and as long as you stay on the scaffolding scaffolding you know you, you kind of you can thrive but I think outside of that you really have to it's it's you have to find you, you have to find what you're doing and you have to find find the drive within yourself and that drive within yourself must be difficult when you're in your words you're told what to do every day you're told where to be what to wear who to be with all those sorts of things how do you reckon that equips or maybe doesn't equip a professional athlete to make the transition to life after sport when for such a long period of time they are almost regimented with respect to and almost institutionalised in what they do day to day for maybe up to 10, 15 years? 
Well, I think, I mean, it is going to depend on, on the players. I mean, that there is guys that, you know, running their own businesses whilst they're playing and they're obviously very entrepreneurial. But um, I think for, for me um, especially and, and, and players that I know, so sort of my peers along the way, I know that they they have struggled um, because, yeah, you are you are regimented, you are given a path when, you, when you're playing and I think um, you, you lose that path, yeah. So you really have to... I'm sticking with this path analogy here, but you really have to find um, find your next path. Yeah, I think it is. It's a it's a real challenge. I think. And and w- with that challenge, when you're actually playing and you're in that bubble, did you provide yourself with enough time outside of sport and on reflection to actually start thinking about what was next? I mean, you're well educated. You have a business degree. Um, you're a candidate for the MBA program at Melbourne Business School as well. So you've got a almost you've got a bit of a head start with from a lot of professional sporting people who maybe don't have that academic background. But what I've noticed through conversations that I've had for this particular podcast series is that a lot of athletes have a lot of downtime or idle time. And do you reckon you used your idle time wisely when it came to getting yourself ready for life after sport? Absolutely not. I really didn't. And I think I, I look back and um, I think you can always do more. I think even the people that think they're doing a good job can do more. I think you can sort of get lulled in this into this false sense of security. You know, you've got three years left on your contract. I'll be fine until 2021. But it doesn't really work like that. You You really need to just be... You kind of have to change your the way you think about it, it it's not really a chore and, and I just drum on to this drum on about this to the players now whenever I see them I, I probably sound like a broken record but I'm just saying you should be getting out there and just talking to as many people as you can you know just really dipping your toes in the water because um, it's it's too late after almost you know like your um, your currency as a professional athlete sort of um, diminishes um faster and faster as you finish and I think um, I mean looking at my personal journey I think I had some key people that sort of probably harped on that to me and that sort of got me in the in the uh, in the way of thinking but I, even then I didn't do enough like I, I hadn't finished my first degree when I finished rugby so I I went back and finished my business degree I think I did two two years in in nine months just because I had to smash it out but I think there's this view and you can get trapped in this as well in a, in a team you know you're sort of like oh look I'm tired I've just trained all day uh, and you know it's true you are you're fatigued but so I you can th- actually make you can just make a lot of excuses you just make excuses yeah and with those excuses and if you think if you're looking back into 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 the past with with 2020 vision I mean what are the things that you really the really obvious things that you should have done that maybe you didn't well i should have finished my degree for starters so i think um having that degree for for me i mean it's going to be different for everyone you know some people it might be a trade but i think uh just having that confidence uh and it's it's a piece of paper but it's an important piece of paper to a lot of a lot of businesses it's almost like proving that you can um apply yourself um academically and i think it's just in today's in today's world, I know, like I said, you know, it's going to be different for everyone. But I think, um, I think it's key. It's key to get a degree. And if you think about when you weren't playing or training, and you, you did have idle time when you were, when you were a professional sportsman, 
I mean, what were the things that you were doing to while away your hours? If you weren't preparing for life after sport, or you weren't going out maybe talking to sponsors and and uh, coterie groups and, and board members to sort of get a bit of understanding of what m- might interest you. What were the types of things that you and maybe your, your peers did? Were you sitting in front of PlayStations? Because you don't strike me as a person that would necessarily mm-hmm. do that. But, I mean, what, what were you doing to sort of while away your time? Yeah, I definitely wasn't playing PlayStation. I think I, I read a lot. I, I love reading. Um I won't tell you exactly what I was reading. Uh, well, I will, I suppose. <laughs> Harry Potter. Yeah, Harry Potter, probably. <laughs> Fiction stuff. But um, yeah, I was reading. Um, we tend to live, well, I tended to live with other players. So, you, you sort of find things to do, um, you, whether it's, oh, it does, it sounds ridiculous now, but you know, you, you're cooking or, you know, I used to cook a lot and I probably uh, spent too much time cooking. Signature dish? Signature dish. Um Probably something slow cooked, a lamb shoulder, slow cooked. Yeah, put it in the oven in the morning and hope the house hasn't burnt down when you get home. <laughs> um, yeah, you'd be surprised at what athletes can do, you know, um, or, or how little they can do with their time. And I'm being a bit unfair here, but but I think, yeah, probably not enough. And if you think about the, the environment that the club provides you as a professional athlete, I mean, what sort of support structures were in place at either the Rebels or the Wasps when it came to the ability to tap into the board network, to tap into the club's sponsorship network as a way to potentially understand what might else be out there or what might what other options might be out there when it comes to preparing yourself for life after sport. So Wasps, I was pretty young, I think, and I was pretty immature in my thinking when I was over there. I think I was about 21, 22, 23, and... They had uh, an amazing network of, you know, alumni um, and who were always around. They had great networking events. Um, but it was really just, I mean, unless you are driven yourself, you know, in, I think in my mind, you know, I probably wasn't interested at, at that point. And I was sort of thinking, oh, look, I'm going to be playing rugby for a long time or whatever it was. I just wasn't focused on on that particular so even though the resources were there i really wasn't making use of them so do you reckon that was almost just a maturity thing and the fact that maybe this sort of mindset isn't necessarily for what i'd call a young and up-and-coming player that's probably wanting to make the list become respected from his teammates so you really need to focus on that for the first couple of years and then suddenly that first two or three years becomes five becomes eight becomes ten suddenly you're out of the sport and you think what on earth just happened yeah that's exactly it i think um it's really easy uh, and I'm always harsh on myself when I was playing and I'm harsh on players now but I think it's very easy retrospectively looking back and saying you know why aren't you doing this why aren't you doing that but I think when you're a young athlete the reason that you probably have done so well is that you probably are a little bit OCD you know like you are when everyone else is going out drinking your you know doing an extra weight session or you're doing this and I think those players that um, are you know have discovered you know beers or or girls you know and they're they're sort of getting into that sort of lifestyle it's um they're sort of players that probably don't make those those sort of same levels because you you do there is some sort of sacrifice that you need to have made and i think um it's it is probably a little bit harsh for me to say do all these things because you, you really need to be putting all the time on especially at those in those early stages um to get noticed and do you think that the majority of sporting clubs and organisations that you've been involved with do have whilst they're elite sporting organisations and you know their job is to to develop sports people to perform and and win I mean do you think that they have enough 
of an understanding of, the, of what I call the whole person, not just the sports person, but have a more holistic view on the development of people that come through their through their front doors? I think um, in my time at Wasps, and I'm thinking, you know, at the Rebels, um, you know, we did have about four CEOs and coaches in as many years in those early years, and they all had a different view on it. And I think um, when I was first there, we had a, a a coach called Damien Hill who I actually had at Sydney Uni as well and and he was a great coach and he definitely believed in all this extracurricular stuff and he was you know he he previously coached at Sydney Uni so he was all about it but I think um, sport is is so unbelievably fickle in that if you if you do things and then you don't win people tend to think oh that's maybe why you didn't win or, or you know oh they're not there was a statement I think I remember after after I finished and it was um, from a player and he said there was some sort of extracurricular thing I don't know whether it was a, a networking event or something and he said oh look I just I just need to concentrate on my footy sorry I can't make it and I just thought like oh you idiot but also I thought um, it starts at the top you know if the coach is saying things like you know you just you know you can knuckle down and if that if that statement is acceptable that will just reiterate down the ranks you know it's a very easy cop you know get out of jail card it's like oh sorry I can't do this extra stuff because I just need to concentrate on my football that's an internal dialogue that is just perpetuated you know down the ranks so if that's what the coach is saying I think that's what the players will do. And that's really interesting because there's certainly plenty of evidence out there in academic studies that says that in sporting professionals who have balance in their lives and are not just fully focused 110% on sport the whole time actually are more likely to engage with their sport better but also be in a position to engage with the wider world better for when they do finish because they, haven't, they have not just led this really one-dimensional life. So did you think it surprises you that in, t- in this day and age that sport organisations still revert back to type when it comes to, well, more's better? More training's better, More you training, more preparation. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I don't know enough about the Kiwi system, but there's always rumours, and I don't know if we tell ourselves this, but we tell us, you know, there's a rumour out there that, that the Kiwi teams um, do do less. You know, they train hard when they train, but then they actually do get more time off. And I think Australian rugby, from my experience and... Um, um, also, what you sort of see is they they do train a lot. You know, they're in there very early until it's almost it's longer than working hours, like you know, nine to five. Um, and and it's physical. You know, so by the time you finish, you are you bug it. So I think it. Although I'm saying right now, you know, I'm sort of I'm going back on my word here, but I, I think they do need to do more um, outside. I think it, it is tough. Like they're doing a lot of they're doing a lot of work. Yeah. So I, mean, I think I had a conversation with David Parkin about this just last week and we were talking about, you know, should sport in general, professional team sports, almost take a leaf out of the, when sport was amateur? You go back to the AFL system, it really sort of changing sort of mid to late 90s and rugby union really didn't start to become professional until the super rugby franchises came in in the, what, the mid to late 90s as well. But... The question I posed to David was, are the players actually better footballers, better rugby players um, from all this training? Because it seems to me that if you're training and preparing for for a sporting contest for 40 or 50 hours, surely you can't possibly do that much over the course of a week that's going to make you you 5, 10, 15, 20% better. You might be fitter and stronger compared to people of 50 or 60 years ago or even 20 years ago but 
you're actually going to be a better sportsman as a result or woman yeah i mean i definitely think so i think um yeah having having and a lot of those players back then you know they, they had already um had a trade or a degree under their belt um, which is almost unheard of now to to have something like that before you play you know usually you're plucked out of school almost or definitely out of sort of colts rugby which is 19 to 21 um i think and actually probably if you look at the statistics um australian rugby probably um has gone down since we actually did become professional so you could argue um you know performance has gone down um but i think yeah i think it's very important to 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 definitely have, have had something before you you're going into into professional sport and if you think about this i know the pressures that are on professional sports people to perform especially te- within that sort of team environment which means not only performing on the field but if you're like falling into line gen i suspect with the leaders about what you do off the field and with re- with respect to preparation and then other things around the sport going out for dinner not drinking all those sorts of things I mean, what's it like being a professional sports person from an enjoyment point of view? I mean, is it, is it an enjoyable past or is it an enjoyable profession? Because I've certainly spoken to many, many sports people over the last couple of years who have said, you know what, I really used to love it, but now it's a job. I think, um, I think when you're a professional uh, player um, in a team sport, it's drummed into you, you know, you are so lucky to be here. Um, you know, if you weren't here, you'd be out on the street kind of thing. Um, and I think, you know, my experience has been quite different. I, I think I am, and I, I'm probably, maybe I'm, a, maybe I'm a rarity, but I'm not sure. I, I think I, I feel like much happier now, to be honest. I think you, um, yeah, as ha- you were saying, happier being retired. Yeah, happier being retired. Yeah, I feel like, um, yeah, I think when you, you know, you, you go from your school bubble, often in rugby, you, you know, you've gone from a, a being a big fish in a small pond to then being signed professionally. You're still in the same rugby bubble. Um, you, you really haven't been exposed to to different, you know, groups, different people. And I think you, you're people are drawn to you because you're now a rugby player. And I think it's just this again this self-perpetuating cycle i think um i feel like when i retired it was almost like a second puberty because you you kind of have to rediscover who, who you actually are you know yeah um yeah i think uh, personally i i think yeah I, i'm i'm a happy person now and that's really interesting because it sort of flies in the face of the this whole focus on sport sports sports sport because if you've got some balance in your life and you've got other interests outside you can kind of compartmentalize things and then i suspect the stresses of your performance as a sports person probably get put into a little bit more perspective because maybe you're doing one day of work a week or you're starting one day a week so you're not fully sorry you're not fully ensconced all the time in that one pursuit and i mean that it, it it feels like what you've just described is something that I imagine a lot of sports people might get to the end of their careers and go, crikey, thank God that's over. Yeah, definitely. So I think when I played, and pretty much touching what you just said, is you sort of have this bubble, and if you think of like a Venn diagram, you've, you've got rugby and then you might have family. I don't know, maybe there's two circles. And I feel like um, when rugby's um, not going well, um, 
life is bad, you know? Uh, and um, now I think about, there's probably about 10 little circles. They're all overlapping. You know, if work's not great, I've got, um, you know, my friends outside of rugby, I've got this, I've got that, I've got study. Um, and I just think you can sort of fall back on the others to lift you up. And if, you, if, if all you've got is this rugby, and if that's your identity is rugby and rugby alone or, or whatever your sport is, it's tough you know like when sport's not going well you have a bad game you see some bad feedback in social media um you know it really affects you look and that's really it's it's fascinating that you say that because this whole focus that when you know when you're not playing that well you know your life's probably rubbish and you everyone looks at you and goes oh you know had a crap game drop that pass it could have been a try all those sorts of things i mean do you think that the ability for professional sports people to see through their sports career to what I'd call a broader outlook and a longer term time frame because you think okay you finished at 27 the average says suggests you can live till 84 so there's another 50 plus years that you're on the planet yet there is such a focus on week to week almost day to day when you're a professional sports person especially when you're especially when you're playing in a in a competition like Super Rugby where, you know, you've got matches every week for an extended period of time. And so there isn't almost the ability for you to look further ahead than the next training session or the next match. And surely that must have an impact on the ability and the mindset of an individual sports professional to look beyond that and go, you know what, if I don't start preparing soon, I'm going to lose a bit of time when it comes to the next 50-plus years. They could also say... Stuff it. I'm going to wait till then because I've got to, I've got 50 plus years to fill in. But to me, it seems like the the future catches up with you really quickly in the professional sporting sense. And before you know it, you're no longer playing. Yeah. So that's exactly it. So I think when you're playing, you you have these short term goals, which you know usually are let's win next week. Um, and I think the whole premise of sport or professional sport relies on the fact that um, fans, players all have a short memory because if, you, uh, if you're constantly remembering or harping on what had just happened, um, you know, you would never get anywhere. You have to move on. So I think, yeah, you have these short-term goals, which is winning the next game, but it is harder to lift yourself up, at that, up from that level and, and set these long-term goals, especially if they're outside of, of your sport that you're immediately involved in. I think that's probably definitely something that... I didn't do, and I imagine a lot of professional people, yeah, forget. That social network is, is is beautifully put with respect to the fact that you've got a whole range of different, if you like, areas of support that you can draw on now, you know, work, family, friends, etc. I mean, what was it like transferring from a full-time professional sports person into what I call a normal job? You work at Australia Post. Um what was that like after you finished your degree and suddenly you've moved from, I guess over a period of time, from the sporting environment to, I guess, <laughs> pretty boring officer job? Mm. Um, actually, I, I was laughing, I think, on the weekend. I was um, catching up with a player who's just retired now and we were sort of saying he's uh, he's moved to the um, court, uh, sorry commercial side of of the, of the team and and he was sort of saying that he that he's loving wearing a suit and that it was an absolute novelty and you know he was loving rocking up to work with a suit when everyone else was sort of not even dressed up and it'll, I, it'll wear off pretty yeah, quickly and, and i was thinking i had the exact same experience you know everything was new uh, and it was exciting for me 
So I think, um, and it sort of has that hasn't really stopped for me. I think I've sort of because there's just so much I didn't know. Um, I feel like I have sort of been learning um, this whole time. So since I retired, however long that's been, four years, um, just constantly learning. So I think whereas rugby you can get a bit and definitely probably the reason or it was a good time for me to to retire, um, whether it was forced or not, was that um, I sort of was, you know, I had lost that desire and that excitement. And I think I haven't, I haven't, lost that yet because I, like you said it, it's I could be working till I'm 80 you know uh, at the rate we're going so I think um, yeah I think um, I think it's important yeah. and that, that excitement that comes with getting out of bed every day and doing something that clearly you must like otherwise you wouldn't you wouldn't be doing it you wouldn't be excited by it but I think you touched on a really interesting point and that's the fact that there's so much you didn't know and this is where the whole point about what I call a narrow existence where, you know, professional sportsmen and women are obviously really, really good at one really, really, really specific skill. Rugby, football, cricket, athletics, whatever it might be. So the things that you didn't know, I mean, can you just explain maybe it's 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 something that someone who's essentially lived in a suit for the last 25 years would take for granted but what are some of the things that you're talking about with regards to that well, sort of stuff I actually I made a joke I think when I just retired and um, I think someone said are you uh, you know you're going to keep up your um, exercise regime or whatever and I was like oh yeah look I don't want to become a, a fat businessman listeners I can assure you he's looking pretty fit <laughs> I don't want to become a, a fat businessman kind of thing and and, um, and I've got to say that that is it's hard to it's, it is hard to stay fit but I, but I was going to say is that um mental um endurance is is something that i hadn't experienced i mean you have mental strength i think as an athlete um you've got to go to some pretty hard places but in terms of using your mind uh from you know 7 30 in the morning till you know sometimes 10 p.m at night um if you have to um that is just something that i just it took me a while you know i remember sort of when i first started um my job sort of about 2 3 p.m almost falling asleep because it's just it's just something that's about when you finish training usually and that's when you just switch off you know so i think mental endurance is something that i wasn't quite prepared for um or something i had to learn about well and that i mean the idea of of you mentioned at the start the fact that everything was done for you you didn't have to make a lot of decisions what's it like going if you like having freedom to you know, on the weekends, you know, I'm applying, so you can wake up whenever you like. You can go out on a Friday night or a Thursday night or a Monday night if you want to and have a few beers, glass of wine, and not probably go to bed feeling guilty the fact that, oh, God, you know, no one else has done this. I'm going to need to do three more training sessions as a result. I mean, what's it like to have that freedom? Is it is it is it exciting but daunting at the same time? I think it was um, daunting at first, but I, I think now, like all my friends now, and I feel like I have a, a great bunch of friends now in Melbourne, uh, from some sort of institution, whether it was study or touch rugby or something like that, where you you kind of need some shared time um, repetitively to develop relationships, or, or in the workforce. And I think when you're in, in rugby, you you have thirty good blokes usually, um, and but they're not necessarily your choice. You know, you're, you're, you're dumped with these people um, and often they are legends, but, but it's sort of, that's the team you're given and they're, they're your friends that you're given. 
And it's actually interesting you say it because I think that there's a common misconception out there, and I don't care whether it's amateur sport or professional sport, it is just a group of people that are thrown together and not everyone gets on and not everyone's going to be best friends for the rest of their lives. But I'm assuming that there would certainly be a, a core group of people that you played with either in the UK or in Australia that you're pretty close to. Yeah, yeah. So there's people that you, that you keep in contact with, but I I did notice and it was kind of a... I suppose it was a, it was a sad shock, but it, but it's the truth, I think, of, of sport or, or team sport is the team moves on so quickly. So they they are on this treadmill and, and you you jump off basically and and I think I came to a team function I remember um, about a week after I retired maybe it was a few weeks and I and I just felt already I know it was probably self you know I'd self administered this but I I did feel on the outer straight away and I think um, you know I just moved on and but I think the relationship changes you're now not a player you are you are outside of that bubble and that 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 sort of issue of just you literally one minute you're in the tent the next minute you're out of the tent that must be for a lot of players really really hard to adjust to yeah i imagine it would be and how how did you cope with that i mean it sounds like you you clearly have moved on now but did it take you a while to to kind of get your head around it did you you leave that function that night going crikey what have i done i should still be playing or was it one of those things where you know you just didn't let it get get to you, you just you went about your business I think I had set myself a goal, which was to, you know, finish my degree. And I just, I had these, you know, I wanted to do different work experience in different, different places. I was, there was people I was, you know, keen to meet and learn from. I, I think I had a goal and I think, um, yeah, I think that sort of kept me focused. And although I'm still friends with the, the team and I'm still heavily involved, I probably hang around too much. Um, I think, yeah, no, I was ready. And that, that set goals is a, is a really interesting analogy because clearly to be a successful professional athlete as you were, you know, you would have probably had goals along the way, maybe as you were going through youth rugby at school, maybe picked up in a couple of squads, prep squads and those sorts of things. And then there's a natural tendency for high-performing elite sportsmen and women, well, what's the next goal? What's the next thing that I can achieve? And that sort of goal for... Um, you've post-sport must have been incredibly helpful because you actually had a carrot out there that you had to go and chase as opposed to sitting back and wondering what on earth you were going to do. I think it, it was important, but it's also um, probably something that has set me back because I feel like as a player, you, you're right, there's this team and then you have to make that team. There's a rep team, then you have to make this team and it's all very... It's all very sort of simple in a way. Like you, you have to you play the best in this team. There's a good chance you'll make the rep team, and then you can become professional. Whereas I think in, and also it happens very quickly. You know, like if you have a good game in Super Rugby, um, there's a good chance you'll be on the Wallabies roster. It's know? unfortunate that's the case at the moment, isn't it? Because the poor old Wallabies aren't travelling. <laughs> well, that's right. And yeah, maybe I'll I'll regret saying that. But but I think in professional environment, you, you have to. There's so many variables, you know, for you to, to improve. And I think the other thing in rugby is you're often rewarded. There's different ways you're rewarded. So often it's, you know, monetary and, and it can jump very quickly. You know, you can double your contract in a, in a year or triple your contract. And I think when that's your, when that's your way of thinking, it's like, oh, look, I'll, I try really hard for this next eight weeks and I can triple my salary. Whereas in real life, it's not quite like that, you know, and, and it's not always monetary reward. It could be responsibility. And I think that's hard to learn as a... And, and that sort of flipping 
what I call transferable skills. You've been out for three. You've been out working essentially for with Australia Post for the best part of three years. There are lots and lots of things that you would have picked up in both Australia and the UK when it came to transferable skills, working in a high performance team, teamwork, leadership, sacrifice, focus, all of those types of things. What are the things that you think or you have brought to your current work environment that you could simply transfer straight across from rugby? And do you think that players give themselves enough credit for the contributions that they could make to an organisation um, purely because of what they've learnt in the professional sporting sphere? I think there's there's definitely some attributes that straight away transfer, which is like um, you know wanting to be the best that you can be, and um, usually the discipline to you know work harder than other people. That's how you've got there. But I think by just saying, oh look, you were in a team sport, you'll work in any team, I think is sort of misinformation. And I think, and I've learned that is that. I think as a player, and I don't know whether it was because I was, you know, wasn't the star player, I was never, you know, the best player really. So I had to sort of do whatever was needed to get in the team. But you must have been one of the toughest because I saw a tackle last night on YouTube. I can't think of the fellow's name that he put you on your backside and and then another player came and literally turned you on your side. It was the same player. Same guy. <laughs> the same guy. So he nearly killed you. Yeah, and he, he, felt, he felt bad, yeah. <laughs> you know, that's the only footage of me that exists. So I think um, I show people that. Oh, I saw a try as well, mate. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, no, I, um, I try to avoid looking at that, to be honest. Um, painful memories. Painful memories, yeah. Um, but, but this whole issue of goal setting, I mean, I think is really fascinating because I don't care whether you're a professional sports person or whether you're in a, you know, you've just been a normal, in a normal job all of your life. The ability for someone to set a goal and then go ahead and work out what they've got to do to, to actually achieve that goal, to me, seems like a really smart way of going about getting yourself ready for the next phase of your life. Now, it could be when you're playing, it could be as simple as I'm going to meet with four board directors from the club that I play with in the next month. It could be as simple as that because I think one of the things that I've learned through an involvement with the professional sport organisation some years ago is that not enough players, certainly back then, this is in the early 2000s, actually leveraged the resources of their organisation. The directors of most high-profile sporting clubs are successful high-profile people themselves that have influence in certain circles that could be of real benefit to a player when it comes to seeing where they get a bit of part-time work, a bit of work experience, just to understand a different environment. And I've always been a big believer that it doesn't matter whether you're a sports person or not, when you're growing up and when you're in your sort of formative years, you need to try and find out what you don't want to do as opposed to what you do want to do. Because if you find out what you don't want to do, you can kind of park that and move on from it because the last thing anyone wants to be doing is a job that they hate for 50 plus years. And I would assume that your ability to think about the bigger picture and the fact that you left rugby relatively early, you probably had that mindset which you were curious, you wanted to find out a bit more about how other other things work, but at the same time you had the goal initially which was to finish your degree. Yeah, I, th- I had the the goal to, to finish my degree, but I think I also, and, and in retrospect, I think it was a good thing to do is I just tried things. So I, I think I mentioned here on the way up here and was that, you know, when I first retired, I, I thought, oh, look, maybe I'll, I'll try, my, try my hand at stockbroking. And I think I lasted uh, about a month, um, but I'm still thankful for the opportunity. And I can assure you that that's... Uh 
that's not the shortest time in my in my memory. <laughs> yeah, um, and you know, and I tried I tried a number of things. So I th- and I think, like you said, you you learn what you you don't want to do, and you learn quite frankly what you'd be bad at, but you don't know until you try. And I mean, do you think that's a message that not enough professional sports people consider that that there's probably this ideal situation out there where they go, look, okay, I know I'm pretty bright or I know I've got a pretty good understanding of what I want to do. Then they get into it and they go, crikey, this is nothing like what I expected. And then suddenly they, they, have, they do really have to reconsider what they're going to do. I think that's the important of importance of your of your network is that you just you have to try something you, you have to stay busy and I, I often say to to players you kind of have to think about it like progressive overload you know in the gym like you have to you just have to do something and just add to it and I think if you go if you go and really gung-ho and thinking look this is what I want to do it might not be what you want to do and and then you have this really dark realization that like ah that was my chance but that's not really how it works you know and do you think that people that the athletes who maybe aren't as well prepared or haven't thought so much about life after sport as they are coming towards the end that they're in a hurry and they feel like they've got to kind of make up for lost time in order to find something to do as opposed to find something that they love to do well that's actually how i feel uh, and that's sort of how i still feel uh, i um so I, Yes, I would say maybe that's not the right thing to do, but I've definitely, I don't know whether it's a chip on my shoulder or, or, or something, but I, I do feel like you are sort of, whilst you're playing, um, my analogy is like a slingshot, you're sort of being pulled back slowly whilst you're playing and you're missing out. I feel like you're missing out on all this experience that your peers not playing sport um, are experiencing and then you are just let go um, once you finished and you have to sort of catch up like there is these skills that we mentioned before that um, are transferable like uh, this you know working in a team the team first you know nothing being bigger than you but um, but you have to learn like it, and you have to be prepared for what is reality which is that you do not have the same experience or you've, you're missing 10 years or however long you've been playing and you do need to catch up so it's not going to be a walk in the park and cognitively do you think that the focus on sport from a just from a purely developmental perspective of your of our thinking matter can be held back because of that fact the fact that you are you know you're focusing on one thing you're probably not out there uh doing a whole range of other activities that are going to stimulate you and then suddenly you are slingshotted out of there um i mean what sort of things did you uh, maybe take away from the fact that You've got a whole bunch of friends from outside rugby that maybe you played rugby with at school, people you went to school with and so forth, that, you know, while you're doing what you love and you're probably being rewarded pretty well for it, they're out there, they've done their degree, they're probably five or six years ahead professionally straight off the bat. So they're 10 years in front of you already, as you mentioned. I mean, does that put a bit of pressure on you from an, I mean, internally and you are to a certain extent playing catch up, you know, from then on? Yeah, I think so. I think um, it can both be a positive thing and like a driving force, but I think it can also hold you back from probably doing what you really want to do by putting too much pressure on yourself. And I think that's a trap that I get into as well is being overly comparative. So looking at, oh, look, where are my friends at? Where, you know, what are they doing? Um, And at times, you know, it's been good because I'm thinking, oh, this is where I have to be. Um, This is what I need to do to get there. But at the same time, 
I am, you're sort of, you're closing up your options, you know, and I think it, it is, it's, it's good to have the drive and, and you do need to work your ass off when you finish sport. But I think um, there's no, there's really is no benefit in comparing yourself Look, you make a really good point because I can assure you there's plenty of people, including myself, that have done that over the years. And it takes you, I think it just takes you uh, time on the planet and the ability to actually accept and understand that there are a whole lot of things that you've done that other people might actually be comparing themselves to as opposed to the other way around to almost be comfortable in your own skin. And that the point you made before about that, that sort of slingshotting into reality, I mean, that must... For someone like yourself and, and, and others, that must be a huge burden to have to bear, especially I imagine a lot of your peers maybe didn't think as deeply about what was going to happen post their careers. Maybe they chose, sorry, they were, 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 were put into pasture and maybe when they're 33, 34, 35 as opposed to 27. So that desire or that sort of issue of, everything's got to be in fast forward in order to get to the next thing must just be exacerbated because of the fact that they've probably not thought about things as deeply as others might have yeah i think so i think when you when you're in a team environment you i mean it's not dissimilar to to on the on the outside i'll call it the outside but but i think you when the team age is professional sport is young so you sort of you sort of act and behave where you tend to or you can get caught in in the the mindset of sort of whatever that age group is of the, the average of, of the team, you know, whether it's sort of a 24, 25-year-old mindset. And I think um, if you've had kids or something, that tends to break you out of it. But I think you definitely, um, I would say, yeah, I'd say you're a bit, you do get a bit stunted, I would say. And from an influence point of view, if you look at the, I guess you've probably got players that are, Okay, twenty to thirty-five. That spread of ages. Where's the the influence within a within that, that sort of peer group? Is it th- if the older players are thinking about life after sport? Does that sort of filter through the group, and so more people are, are probably naturally going to start thinking about it because the leaders are doing it? Uh, it does filter through, but but I I don't know if th- this is this is my mindset at the moment. I don't know. It might change, but I think. It's all good when um, I feel like it works better when it is the older the older players who are running the team, and I think um, it's just a tried and tested formula. You know, I think they're more experienced in in life, and they've had the um, they've had the wins. They've had probably more importantly the losses, and I feel like when the uh, when I feel like when their mindset is the mindset of the team, uh, and their standards are the standards of the team you're in better shape. I think the problem is when you have younger players um, who have come in and they've been told that they're, they're running things or, and I think no matter how good a player is, you just don't have the life experience. And I think it's, it's a massive mistake to, to give too much influence to the younger players. And when it comes to that influence, if you think about the older players that you played with both Wasps and at the Rebels, were there ever any conversations with you specifically about, well, Lockie, what are you going to do when you finish? I mean, do, do those sorts of conversations happen in a professional sporting environment from your experience? Not enough, really. Like, I think 
No, I don't really remember them. Not with not with my peers when I was playing. I mean, maybe here and there, but I really not enough. Not from what I can remember. And do you think that that's that can't be a good thing? And what I mean by that is is the fact that the ability to be thinking longer term. And I've been in amateur sporting environments, and the amount of rubbish that you speak, you know, whilst you, you know, in the showers after you've trained, all those sorts of things, um, it tends to be pretty sort of superficial conversations i suspect it's not much different in a, in a professional sporting environment when you're young people and you you know you're just doing what you love and you're mucking about and having a bit of fun but if you was a maybe a younger player in that sort of environment went up to one of your older senior teammates and said look i'm thinking about life after sport i'm thinking about preparing what sort of reaction do you reckon you would have got well to be honest i don't even know if they are the right people to be to speaking to either especially if i mean it's almost at the stage now. I think the senior players are still people that haven't probably studied or have it or have some sort of trade under their belt. That it's we've been professional for that long now. I think maybe in the old days they would have given some sound advice, but uh, but I mean, I mean the formula from what I know of athletes is they either throw some money uh, in a in a house, you know, and that could go well if they know what they're doing, or, or you know some shares. But again, it's pot luck. They don't. Maybe they should be speaking to you. I don't know, but um, definitely, yeah. Um, but they're not necessarily the best people for life advice either. I mean, that they can give um, sound sport advice, but really, it's 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 people outside of sport that you should be speaking to. I think. And and this gets me to this uh, issue of mentors. I mean, I've had various mentors over the course of my life, um, and I still use them a significant amount of times even now. Um, did you have people outside that were completely unrelated to rugby uh, that you could talk to, lean on, whether it's family, friends, whether it's people that you've met through the rugby circles that may be sponsors and just, you know, casual observers of the game that actually can provide you what David Parkin describes as a critical friend? So someone who has no background of or really worries about your sporting background they're more worried about you as a holistic person. And what I mean by that is, is that they're not connected to the club, so they're completely independent, and they can give you full, frank and fearless advice when it comes to some of the things you might be thinking about when you're thinking about life after sport or, or other aspects of your life for that matter. Yeah, so, I mean, that person for me um, was a guy I met at a networking event, actually, at the Rebels. Um and I think I was crowded around the, the buffet and I was avoiding eye contact with everyone that I could and um and he sort of came up to me and spoke to me and um That'd name- be a pretty that'd be a pretty um competitive envi- environment. Uh, thirty professional rugby players around a buffet, I would have thought. Yeah, well I don't know, maybe he I don't know I don't know why he uh chose to speak to me that day, but I I'm so glad he did. And his his name is um, John Anderson and and I I think um yeah, he basically just pretty much just took an interest i think an interest in me personally i think and um i just honestly cannot think um of what i would have done without him because he just kind of guided me through the process and he also um i think naturally as a person i i i don't i'm not overly imposing i think or, or i definitely wasn't and i think he almost was a bit of a grenade for me and he would just go in and ask shameless questions to people and uh and say oh look you should speak to uh Lockie. and and i could sort of pretend like i didn't really want him to even though i really did and um yeah it, it worked for me i think he was pivotal for me and what were the if you could sort of sum up a couple of the key things that he helped you with is it about kind of working out what you wanted to do next is it about 
leveraging contacts within an, an organisation or outside it? I mean, what were the sort of specific things if you can think of that, that really maybe surprised you when you, when he started helping you out? Well, it's just, I think firstly, he was just a positive guy. So he, he would, you know, sort of keep me upbeat. But I, I think, um, and it, he just always harped on about it and I didn't really understand what it was, uh, this 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 word the network he would talk about you know like it's all about the network and I kind of didn't understand what he was talking about and and um it just sort of sounded like a bit fake to me like oh what you just go and speak to people like I don't get it like why would they want to do that and and he sort of just he just sort of drummed it into me that you you know you you just don't burn your bridges and you, you basically just you know, be a good person basically and, and just stay in contact with people and, you know, eventually you'll find someone that, that is interested in you or, or, or is looking, you're interested in investing in you or something like that really and I think um, it was the best advice he ever gave me because that's really what's helped me along along my way. And it sounds like that not enough professional sports people in your experiences get that sort of advice where, you know, use and leverage the network because as you said at the start of this conversation, once you're retired, you're out of the bubble. The 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 coterie groups, the board members, the the executive staff, they've got a whole bunch of their employees to worry about. You're not an employee anymore, so they don't really need to provide you with the level of support that maybe they gave you while you were playing. That's right. I think it's it is hard to implement a a set. Um, you know, like you can have these networking events, but. But really, like, there's no formula. I, I, well, there might be, but but I think really you need someone that is interested in you as a person and sticks with you because um, if that if they're looking and if they're looking for something, if they're looking for some return, that's probably not going to work either because it's going to be a long time until they get their return. You know, like it takes it takes a while. But I think they just need to be they need to have be patient and they need to be positive. I, I would say. And I mean that that positive. Um mindset must be really difficult at times for a player to continue to maintain be upbeat be always be happy outwardly when internally you might be really struggling and I know you know there are so many stories now of well, plenty of current players in all forms of sport have struggled mentally and have had all sorts of mental issues and they've come out and it's it's awesome that in this day and age people can actually do that without fear of being ostracised, if that makes sense, but that also must be very difficult to, to maintain that positive mindset when internally you're probably going crikey. I'm not quite sure that I've done the right thing. I'm not quite sure what I'm going to do, and I need to get on with it. Yeah, I think that's why you need to surround yourself with people that care about you and aren't interested in you as a player. They're interested you in you as a as a person. Um, I think um, I also read a book. And actually, an ex-coach gave to me gave it to me when I was at the Rebels, a guy called Nathan Gray. And I don't know if it was because maybe I was always looking at the ground and looked like I was depressed. But um, he gave me this book by a guy called Martin Seligman, who um, I think he started something called Positive Psychology, and he actually had a bit to do with Geelong Grammar. And uh, it was this book called Flourish, and I read it sort of cover to cover in about a few days. And I think. Uh, it's probably the best book I've ever read really because it, it sort of the one thing that it sort of told me was that um, I think as a player um, you it's almost you know if something bad happened you play poorly you almost it's not really acceptable to then the next week be upbeat you almost have to prove that you've really 
you've really let yourself and the team down and you really have to show it. But eventually you believe it and you sort of think, I've let the team down, I need to do this, I need to do that. And, and, it, and it actually becomes part of you, this sort of never feeling like you're quite there. And I think that the key take out of this book was that, um, you know, when you have these negative thoughts, you can't embrace them. So as a player, you know, like, oh, I'm, I've played poorly. It's not good enough. I've got to be better. But it's the, the idea of this book was that you're going to have these bad thoughts and that's just, you just have to accept that it's going to be bad, but know that in a day or two, you'll be fine, you know? Yeah, that's, that's fascinating because, you know, I've lived that mindset in, an, in a very amateur way uh, with, you know, having a crap game and having to turn up and, you know, you know how many kicks you on the weekend sort of thing. But then I've also read in Ricky Ponding's autobiography about the fact that he was really, really sharp on ensuring that no matter he got, whether he got a duck or a double century, his demeanour would, would not allow you to tell which he, what he'd done. And that was just the ability, I suspect, as a leader from his point of view, um, to be very even and to be very balanced. So there's not, you know, you're not too high when you have the highs, you're not too low when you have the lows. And I would have thought that um, there's enough pressure on you internally anyway that you don't need to, I don't know, be seen to be, you know, figuratively speaking, beating yourself up when you've had a bad, when you've played one bad game. Because I, I suspect that, um, you know, uh, based on some statistics that I read, most professional sports people lose more than they win. That's just the way things are, especially if you've been in it for a long period of time. And if you th- thought about, if you thought like that after every loss, you'd have a pretty miserable time. Yeah, well, yeah, I suppose you're right, and maybe, um, maybe that was my thing. To be honest, uh, maybe I'm speaking for for other people when maybe that's not correct. But I, but I do feel like I do feel like maybe that's an unwritten, you know, expectation. But but um, yeah, definitely, you're right. Like I think there is people who break that mold. It was just I felt that I had to, um, yeah. If the team if the team lost, you kind of had to um, look like you had you know you know you weren't happy basically. And if you think about and reflect from the minute you walked out of the Rebels organisation, I know you did spend some time in the commercial department as well. I mean, if you look back over that time, I mean, how are you these days? And do you think you are where you expected to be? Are you are you in front of where you expected to be? Are you behind or about where you think? It's hard for me to say, really. I think... Um I actually had no idea of where I would be when I first finished. I think I I knew, um, like I said, I had these these short term goals of you know finishing that degree. Then I started another one in the masters, or, or getting a job. You know, firstly, and um, had a few had a few ones that weren't didn't work out, and then happened to get a good one that I enjoyed. But I think um, um, at different points, you know, I think there's points where I felt like, wow, this is great. I, you know, I can't believe I'm here. And in other, other points I've thought, you know, maybe I should be there. And, I, I, you know, I think you have to constantly set yourself new goals. Otherwise, you become stale just like you do as an athlete. And if you think about that goal setting, from a practical point of view, what are those, are those goals relatively short term, whether it's getting a promotion in your current job, uh, finishing a project, uh, kind of getting to the end of another year. I mean, what are the sorts of things that practically speaking, you know, your peers that are currently playing now might might take out of, of, of this sort of this goal-setting mindset that allows them to, you know, use little bite-sized chunks which they can tick off along the way, which is going to help them move forward 
in the future, even though they're not looking at that sort of future now, they're actually looking at their current playing career. I think, um, I, I, yeah, it's important to have goals um, professionally, so in your career, whether that's um, a promotion or whatever, but I think it's more important just to have goals in general. So it could be, and I, I bring back to this sort of um, progressive overload, is that I think as an athlete, uh, you you've built this way of thinking is that you are constantly improving, and when you finish, you uh, sometimes you're not. It feels like you're not doing that. You're not like you're not getting stronger, obviously, because you're probably not going to the gym. You don't have time. So, but- so this is almost a bit like the feedback loop because you can put, you know, you can over the course of a season, you can go from benching 150 to 200. So okay, you can, you've improved. You got your fitness up. You can run out games harder. You can get more possessions. All those sorts of things. So that feedback is pretty instant in a sporting environment, but in a work environment, it's it's not that at all, is it? That's right. Yeah. So you have to just you have to be improving in some way. So whether it's like a little course here, you just have to feel like you are improving. Uh, whether it's the person or professionally, I think you just need you need a number of things, and they can be in different streams of your life. But I feel like you need to be building on things. And that is just it, it's 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 a gradual thing, isn't it? It's not something you can you know you can't build. You know, Rome wasn't built in a day. It's it's incremental. And once again, that I suspect must make it very very difficult for professional sporting people to adjust to that kind of incrementalism when it comes to the things in their lives which they're going to improve over an extended period of time. Yeah, I think it's uh yeah you're right. It is it's iterative. The rest of your life, basically, yeah, I would say it, it is a slow, it's a slow burn, but it's it's rewarding in different ways. And if you look at where you're at right now, and if you look at the the, the job that you're currently in, I mean, what sort of fulfilment are you getting out of that, as opposed to on 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 field fulfilment? Because clearly, you're not playing in front of twenty five, thirty thousand people all screaming for the rebels. But what are the sorts of things that you do enjoy about what I'd call normal life? from a work perspective? Well, I think you just have more exposure to more people. So Australia Post is massive. So I think, um, you know, thousands of people. So I'm always meeting new people and, um, you know, some super intelligent people that uh, I'm always learning from. So I feel like um, it's not the same 30 people. Um, it's it's bigger than that. So I think for me, that's it's just those interactions. And variety sounds like it's the spice of life from your perspective. Oh, de- yeah, definitely. So, Lockie, when you think about looking back on your life after sport, what advice would you give all professional athletes if they asked you about, you know, what are the three or four most important issues you should consider when preparing for life after sport? Yeah, so I think the first is, is I think, to to get out of the sport before, you know, you can always come back to the sport after, but I think... If you if you're beholden to that one sport, um, it's it's a small it's a small world, and I think um, it's not healthy either mentally. I think you need to to really get out and ex- expose yourself to um, what is out there, um, really. And I think um, that's that's I suppose my um, one of my recommendations. The other thing is I, I harped on about it before is um, this progressive overload. You know, you, I think you just need to feel you need to to iterate, and you need to constantly basically just feel like you're growing i think that helps you and and the third is that um i feel like often when you're finishing sport you can feel like you're a bit of a a bit of a burden or you know people are helping you but you, you sort of feel like um 
you're imposing yourself on them. But I feel like one of the best things that I did was was actually coach um, just a local club team, um, not as a ex professional athlete, but just as a just as a person. And I think um, a you appreciate how, how hard it is to coach and keep people motivated for even an hour. But I think um, it's really important because it kind of flips your mentality as rather than being sort of this victim or this burden, but you you are helping somebody else uh, appreciate what you have achieved or, or done. And I feel like it just kind of changes, even though it's one aspect of your life, it kind of changes, it, it reverberates in everything you do. I feel like it's it's really important to, yeah, to help other, someone else in, in something that you can help in. And I feel like it really helps, um, it helps you know, your mental health for the rest of your, all the other components of your life. And I think that that burden issue is something that maybe a lot of athletes actually look at and consider when it comes to maybe not asking for a favour or not asking for a meeting. But I can assure you in my experience and talking to many other people over a long period of time, if you ask someone for help, 99.9 times out of 100, they will say yes and they will be glad to help because... uh, the ego gets a bit of a boost when someone asks you for advice. Um, and if there's anything that athletes can learn about these types of issues is that, you know, there are so many people out there that are prepared to help. There are so many good people out there that were doing, are doing it for the right reasons. And to your point about John Anderson, who you mentioned before, he was interested in the whole Lockie Mitchell, not the Lockie Mitchell that played for the Melbourne Rebels. And I think that's a really important point. But Lockie, again, thank you so much for joining us. We'll really appreciate it and uh, have a great Christmas. My pleasure. Thank you.